When you have children, you start to teach them right away. You teach them to be ready for school, and then school teaches us how to be an adult. But what teaches us? What prepares us to be an older adult? I'm Bill Shaver with Mark Middleton, and this is Growing Bolder. On today's program, we'll talk about the opportunity and the power that comes with wisdom, with experience, and with age, and how to make the most of them in your life. I cannot wait, Bill. We're going to hear from one of the most relentless people alive today, swimming legend Diana Nyad. Diana is going to explain why it takes a totally different mindset these days to age to our full potential. And then we're going to meet a landscape photographer who is known as a modern-day Ansel Adams. He's that good. Clyde Butcher has overcome the death of his son and a debilitating stroke to become an even greater inspiration to conservationists everywhere. But first, what would you think if there was actually a place that you could go to to learn how to truly enjoy the later stages of life? Well, we're going to talk to the man who actually created that place. His name is Chip Conley. He's a hospitality icon who helped create Airbnb, and he founded the Modern Elder Academy to help us all reimagine our relationship with aging. Life-changing topics, compelling guests, and inspiring stories. That's what Growing Boulder is all about. And, you know, one of the true blessings in doing what we do is the opportunity to speak with smart, passionate, inspiring, creative men and women who are living big, bold lives and and really not just speaking with them, but most importantly, learning from them. And today we're going to speak with a guy that I have admired for many, many years. Chip Conley is a true agent of transformation. He's a New York Times bestselling author who totally disrupted the hospitality industry, not once, but twice. Uh, When he was just 26 years old, he founded a company by the name of Joie de Vivre Hospitality. Uh, He transformed a rundown inner city motel in San Francisco uh, into the second largest boutique hotel brand in America. He ran it for 24 years and eventually sold it for I guess, hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, And then in 2010, a couple of young guys, a couple of young entrepreneurs had an idea called Airbnb. uh, And they were smart enough to realize that they needed some big time help. And they engaged Chip as Airbnb's head of global hospitality and strategy. And boy, was that ever a good move because he helped run their startup. He helped turn their startup from just an idea into the world's leading hospitality brand. Uh, He still acts as a company strategic advisor, uh, but he now has a new passion project that I wanted to talk to him about. Uh, It was 2018 when he founded the Modern Elder Academy in Baja, Mexico. It's the world's very first wisdom school that's dedicated to helping people navigate their midlife. Uh, He's an amazing guy, and I can't tell you how excited I am to talk to him. So let's do it right now. Chip Conley, how are you doing today? Mark, uh, other than some Wi-Fi challenges in Mexico, I'm doing great. Uh, Thank you for letting me join you. I'm really impressed by the size and depth of your uh, growing Boulder community. Well, you know, you guys are off the grid for a reason. So uh, we are patient and understood the, uh, you know, the challenges that you had getting online. What's it like there today? What's going on in Baja? It's gorgeous. Um, 
So yeah, first of all, thanks for the the generous introduction. Um, I had no idea at age 60, I would be in a place where I was uh, owning the term modern elder. Um, <laughs> uh, that's the word, they, that's the phrase they used to describe me at, uh, at Airbnb uh, eight years ago when I joined them. Um, what I've learned over the course of time, and part of the reason why I wrote a book called Wisdom at Work, The Making of a Modern Elder, and created the Modern Elder Academy was because um, my basic belief was we're living longer, power in a digital society is moving younger, and the world is changing faster. And those three variables have a lot of people in midlife and later confused. Um, and now sociologists are even telling us that midlife lasts 40 years from age 35 to 75. But we don't have any, we don't have much in the way of schools, tools, or rituals or rites of passage for people in midlife and later. And so that's uh, that's what we do here. We help people to reimagine their relationship with aging, shift their mindset, um, and to cultivate and harvest their wisdom. You know, talk about the right guy at the right time. I mean, obviously, it's fair to say that you could have chosen to do anything because you're that kind of guy, um, including doing nothing, which I think many <laughs> people would have thought you'd earned the right to do that. But uh, you obviously, Chip, still have a need not only to be engaged, but to help other people get engaged. Uh, and the opportunity that you guys are addressing is really the one that Growing Boulder is addressing as well and in, in similar ways. And, and I always say that, you know, the, the, the opportunity that we're chasing is not going to exist in 10 years because people will understand that yeah. midlife is now the time uh, to reinvent, to transform themselves, that we've got two, three, and four decades ahead of us. So you're not only helping the world, you're seizing what is really a pretty good business opportunity, don't you think? Well, I, yes, I think that's true. What what led me to doing it was my own dark night of the soul around age 47. And um, I had gotten to a place where I didn't want to be running that boutique hotel company, Joie de Vivre, anymore. Um, I had a long-term relationship ending. I had, was running out of cash during the Great Recession, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then I had a flatline experience. And all of that woke me up. Um, but I also had five friends commit suicide Um average age about 50, all men uh, during the Great Recession. And so in some ways, these were the, these moments where I just said note to self, I'm not sure what to do about this, but clearly uh, people in midlife and later um, are struggling. And in fact, the suicide rate for people 45 to 65 has grown by more than 50% in the last 20 years. So long story short is um, we really wanted to help people to realize that middle essence which is the era of adult adolescence. Middle essence is when you're going through hormonal, physical, emotional changes, often around 50, mostly between 50 and 60, but it could be 45 to 65. This is a period of time for not just the midlife crisis, but also the midlife calling. And how do you, how do you repurpose yourself, uh, what I call same seed, different soil? And so we decided to try it here in uh, Baja because I had a home on the beach here. Uh, this was back in early 2018, and we've now had 1,250 people from 24 countries go through our program, and um, we have an MEA online program as well. And it, what we've seen is the average age is, is about 54 of people coming, but we've had people as young as 30 and as old as 88 come to a place called the Modern Elder Academy, which I would never expect many people in their 30s to come to a place called the Modern Elder Academy but there are a lot of people in their 30s who actually, if you're a software engineer or a fashion model or in the advertising industry, you might actually feel over the hill at age 38. 
Well, you know, I think we've all learned the way that you have a successful older age is to start early. So uh, I think it makes great sense. You know, we find that our message resonates with 20 and 30 year olds as well. Um, you know, what what happens at the Modern Elder Academy? Uh, Chip, and I do want to get to MEA online because, folks, I think this is an amazing opportunity yeah. for anybody out there that either doesn't have the time, the money or the ability to get away and actually go to Baja. Uh, I think they're doing a great job of exporting the lessons that you could learn there to an online experience. But 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 take us to MEA in Baja, Chip. What happens there? How long do we go for and what do we do? Yep. Well, I'm going to talk about what it's like in non-COVID times, which is soon enough. Um, and uh, and we also have a, lo a location in Santa Fe, a 2,600-acre ranch we've just purchased, which will be our, our first U.S. location that will open in early 2023. So typically for a workshop, you arrive on a Sunday here in at the Los Cabos Air Airport, Cabo San Lucas, and we pick you up, and we're an hour north of there, just on the Pacific Ocean. Um, and then you go through a program with approximately 18 to 20 other people. Um, again, average age 54, but wide range of ages often. Um, and the program is all dedicated to the idea of how do you create a growth mindset relative to aging? So a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset, what's the difference? A fixed mindset is what we tend to get into as we get older. We tend to say, okay, this, this, I have a fixed point of view on the world. I have a fixed point of view on my capacity. I have a fixed point of view on my identity. And for all those reasons, we actually get bored and stuck. <laughs> and then sometimes we we're perceived as sort of a curmudgeon. And a growth mindset is less focused on proving yourself and, and trying to win, but it's more focused on learning. Instead of winning, it's about learning. So how could you become a beginner, whether it's juggling or baking bread with three other people or doing yoga, uh, learning how to journal, uh, maybe even learning how to surf? We have all of these opportunities. Now, those are some of the fun activities we have during the week. Um, but we also have great classroom, uh, an open air classroom with shade, um, where people actually learn how to become a mentor, uh, how to use appreciative inquiry, which is a form of asking catalytic questions to actually be wise. Uh, sometimes people think that to be wise is to be the one with all the answers, but we believe the, the wisest people usually have the best questions. Um, so it's a whole program uh, developed by a series of coaches, uh, university professors, and those of us who have been in the business world for a while. And um, we're, you know, we, it's very immersive. Uh, and yes, MEA Online, it's an eight-week course. Uh, we call it digital intimacy because there might be three or 400 people in the course, but you have a cohort of six or eight people. And those are the people you build a relationship with over the course of those eight weeks and you do one-on-one -on -one conversations with them based upon uh, the learning you, you get along the way, watching videos, reading things. It's not a huge commitment um, in terms of time, but it's been phenomenal in terms of how people feel a sense of connection. Because last thought, the three things that people need most after age 50 are purpose, wellness, and community. And that is based upon research that Dr. Phil Pizzo has done at Stanford. And so those are three pillars of the program that we have. And, you know, I think one of the challenges, Chip, that you, you, you have to deal with and overcome is that, I mean, there's no question we live in an overtly ageist culture and an overtly ageist workplace. And I think the, the difficulty in finding work and finding connection has only been exacerbated by uh, the, the pandemic. Uh, is there some application in, in MEA online if there are people that are trying to figure out how they can get back involved in oh, the yeah. workplace? Uh, it, will they learn something there? 
that the the roots of the program come from my book wisdom at work the making of a modern elder which is really speaking to the idea of how do people who are older um have a an important role in the workplace um and so yes the idea of same seed different soil what does that mean it means that you have over the course of your decades in the workplace built some skills you often undervalue what those are and often there are things like psychological safety. How do you create a team that feels connected? Emotional intelligence, which is something that actually tends to grow with age. Um, crystallized intelligence and thinking, which is the ability to think holistically and connect the dots. When we actually help people to understand that those are skills they have that they can bring into any workplace, in any industry, no matter what their role, they start to realize, wow, I have something to offer here. So the experiential program that we have developed is one that gives people confidence, gives people confidence. Now, there is ageism in the world. Let's start with that. Ageism exists. But as one, one of the most famous executive recruiters said to me, Chip, um, ageism exists. But if you can get an interview, now that is not always easy, whether it's online or in person. When you show up with curiosity and a passionate engagement in what you do, what you do, People don't notice the wrinkles. They notice the energy. They notice how you are showing up and the energy you have. And then you come across as almost ageless. Now, that may sound incredibly idealistic, but having had now over a thousand people go through the program, many of them in that transitional state of what's next for themselves and to see them actually go out with confidence and to go out and find new work um, and new a new career, maybe even a new calling I, I, I can say with some confidence that uh, people people find the program to be very valuable. And it's obvious, Chip, that that it wears well on you. I've always admired <laughs> people whose lives are a reflection of their true selves. And, and it's obvious that what you're doing now is an intersection of hospitality. I, I'm guessing the people that come to Baja to MEA get taken care of pretty well. Uh, and education, you know, it's the intersection of hospitality and, and education. And it, it obviously, from the smile on your face, that uh, it seems to be ever present. It, it's something you enjoy doing. Well, it is. I mean, I, I, I've been a disrupt, as you said earlier in my introduction, um, I have been a disruptor. And sometimes disruptors are seen as like not friendly. But if you're a disruptor in the hospitality business, you better be a nice guy, too. And my <laughs> first company is called Joie de Vivre, which means joy of life. I think more than anything, um, when it comes to this, this disruption we're doing here, it's really twofold. It's a disruption, disruption in education. Why is it that we pour so much money in colleges and universities that almost say, you know, you can't come here after age 25? Um, why couldn't we maybe repurpose some of these liberal arts schools that are actually struggling right now that may actually go out of business? And what if we were to create gap years where people in their 50s, 60s, 70s, might actually show up for a year and live on campus for a year with a bunch of people similarly aged. I think that's the future. That's what Modern Elder Academy is about. Secondly, um, with our community here in Baja, as well as the one we're creating in Santa Fe, we're creating a, what we call a regenerative community. Not a retirement community, but a regenerative community because our focus is not so much on endless leisure, leisure and living on a fairway, but instead it's about uh, endless curiosity. And the idea that we are here on earth to actually um, sip from the elixir of life, which is curiosity and creativity and, and a sense of purpose. And so, um, and you don't live on a fairway at our regenerative community. You, you live on a farm, a regenerative farm, which is a form of farming that 
actually helps the environment as well. So long story short is um, I like disruption, partly because I think industries like higher education and senior living communities or retirement communities um, need someone to occasionally be the provocateur with new ideas uh, to help them innovate as well. And that's really what we saw in the boutique hotel business was the the national chains. You walk into any Marriott or Hilton now, they look like a boutique hotel. That was not true 30 years ago. Uh, it was not true before a 26-year-old by the name of Chip Conley got involved in the industry. Up next, more from Chip Connolly. He'll talk about what it means these days to be an elder and how to make it the best time of your entire life. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by Florida Blue Medicare. Moving to Florida means warm weather, blue skies, and a chance to reconsider your Medicare Advantage plan. Did you know new residents may have 60 days to switch? Growing Boulder created a guide to help, available for free at growingbolder.com slash Medicare. Check out Growing Boulder TV, airing on public television stations nationwide. Visit growingbolder.com slash TV for program listings and where to watch. You're listening to Growing Boulder. I'm Bill Schaefer, and Mark Middleton is in the middle of an amazing conversation, a great, conver- a compelling conversation with a guy who considers himself a true disruptor, a guy who wants us to rethink our attitudes towards aging. His name's Chip Conley. He's the author of Wisdom at Work, The Making of a Modern Elder. So let's get back to Mark. We say, Chip, as I know you know, that you know, we don't ignore the reality of aging, but we choose to look at passion and purpose and possibility instead of just loss and limitation. And when people like you add their voice to that chorus, I, I get really, really excited because you, know, you do reinforce that, that, that life is worth living and that it's possible for all of us to extract joy out of almost every moment if, if only we'll, we'll take the, the opportunity to learn how to do it. And I, and I think that's what MEA is all about. It, it's teaching us to figure out how to do that. Well, having, written, having read your book, having uh, reviewed what you do on social media, which is very impressive, and having seen some of your videos, we like you and I are peas in a pod. <laughs> I, I do love the fact that I'm not alone and you're not alone. And, and there are a collection of us out there in the world who are almost creating a movement, a, a movement dedicated to um, not being fearful of elderhood. Uh, now, that's different than el- being elderly. Elderly might be the last five or 10 years of your life, and that's a fine time as well. But, you know, we have three stages of life. We have childhood. We have adulthood. And we have elderhood. Um, We have done a great job as a society of helping people to understand that transition period from childhood to adulthood, uh, what we call adolescence, which actually in 1903, that word didn't exist. 1904, that word got created. And we spent a lot of money with, you know, child labor laws and and junior high schools and public uh, high schools to help people with that transition period. And then you have a commencement exercise, finishing high school, which commences adulthood. But we have very little in society that helps people in that transitional period from adulthood to elderhood. And elderhood is elder. To be an elder means it's a relative term. It means that compared to the people you're surrounded by, you're older. 
You could be 50 and an elder. You could be 40 and an elder in many tech companies in Silicon Valley. And of course, they started calling me at age 52, eight years ago, the modern elder at Airbnb. So elderhood is a period of time where we start to learn the unexpected pleasures of aging. And we start to, as the new curve of happiness, social science research has shown, people actually get happier with each passing decade after about age 47. Um, so I'm, I'm here to just be hopefully a role model um, and maybe occasionally a poster child for the idea that life gets better with age. Well, before we lose the, the spotty internet from, from Mexico, <laughs> or you decide to grab your surfboard or go take a Tai Chi class or whatever you do down there, um, uh, you, you know, let me ask you this, because what, are, what a rare opportunity it is to chat with you. Yours has been a life, Chip, of creative risk-taking, uh, and it doesn't appear as though you're slowing down anytime soon. Is there a moral to your story? Is there something about life in general, the big picture that, that, that you can share with us that you've learned? I, I, I think the moral to my story is that it hasn't been written yet. <laughs> the moral to my story is uh, at the end of that cartoon, you'd see the end. Um, I'm not scared of the end. The end, though, is further out there than I had originally thought. Uh, I when I go on online um, longevity sites, it says that I may live till about age 100. If I do live till age 100, at age 60, I am barely halfway through my adult life if I started counting at age 18. So when you know you have almost as many years of adulthood ahead of you, adulthood and elderhood ahead of you, as you have behind you at age 60, wow, it makes you realize maybe I should learn Spanish if I live in Mexico. Maybe I should start to learn how to do yoga because it's good for, you know, keeping me limber um, and balanced. You know, you start being open to new things. Before I let you go, uh, I also I would pinch myself if I didn't ask you about Burning Man, because uh, uh, that has been a, it's been a major curiosity of mine for for many, many years. Uh, if I were to go, uh, yeah. I'm 69, will soon be 70. If I were to go. Would I enjoy myself? And I'm asking Chip this, folks, because he's on the board of Burning Man. He is, in fact, the Burning Man. So, so would I enjoy it if I go? You could come stay in my bald man, bald white guy's camp. Um, <laughs> um, yes, I think you would. It, it, interestingly, Burning Man is like a utopian experience. It's, it's sort of like, what would the world be like if artists ruled the world? Um, and um, so I think it, I have been there with 90-year-olds who've enjoyed themselves. Uh, you know, let's wrap this up, uh, you know, for the benefit of the people who are watching. I, you know, I've gotten my benefit chatting with you, Chip. But, but, but really, folks, the, the, the reason I wanted to talk to Chip is I'm fascinated with the Modern Elder Academy and really got interested when I learned that they were doing MEA online because it's now accessible uh, to just about anybody. So, Chip, if someone wants to learn more, where do they go? They can go to the Modern Elder Academy website, um, which is modernelderacademy.com. And um, you'll see uh, six tiles there and just click on the MEA online uh, tile and it'll take you to uh, a page that'll tell you a little bit more and you can sign up. Um, additionally, we have a MEA Facebook group. It's called the Modern Elder Academy private Facebook group. And you can go there and just uh, um, ask to be uh, let, you have to answer a couple questions and then just ask to be let into that group and you'll learn more. And it's a really engaged group of people, many of whom have actually experienced MEA online or here in Baja. Chip, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Mark. Uh, God bless you for what you're doing.
God bless you too. And and uh, thank you to creating a community as bold and uh, and engaged as Growing Boulder is. We're not done hanging out. <laughs> I agree. Mexico, All right. come on down. Okay. <laughs> I'll be there. Up next, one of the top landscape photographers alive on overcoming the death of his son and the effects of a stroke to create his most meaningful works yet. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by The Alliance for Lifetime Income. Protected income from an annuity can help cover essential expenses in retirement, giving you the freedom to live the life you want. The right financial professional can show you how. Learn more at protectedincome.org. And by The Center for Health and Well-Being, now open in Winter Park. Wholeness, fitness, and medicine together in one convenient location, offering programs and services to promote healthy living and positive aging. More at yourhealthandwellbeing.org. Hi, I'm Bill Schaefer. Did you decide to try to cut down on sugar? You get rid of the ice cream, cookies, snacks, drinks, desserts, and you feel like you did a good job until you realize you're still eating more sugar than you ever thought. According to U.S. dietary guidelines, we should not have more than about 10 teaspoons of added sugar a day. Well, get this, most of us have about 17, and that's way too much. Added sugar leads to obesity and type 2 diabetes. Of all the people in this country over 65, half have pre-diabetes. And if that isn't motivation enough, here are five more pretty good reasons to cut back, all from our friends at Florida Blue Medicare. First, sugar takes you down the path to heart disease. It can clog your arteries and it can even be more damaging than cholesterol. Second, high blood sugar has been linked to cognitive decline, memory impairment, even dementia. Third, it can lead to nerve damage that affects your joints and your ability to get around. Fourth, it can cause depression and anxiety because it affects your brain chemistry in much the same way that certain drugs do. And finally, high blood sugar can increase your chances of sexual dysfunction. So the big question is, how are you supposed to cut back? And the good news is you don't have to do it all at once. In fact, it's better if you do it a little bit at a time. Get in the habit of checking labels on the foods you buy, but you got to watch out. It's not as easy as it sounds. Food makers hide sugar by calling it something different. Things like agave syrup, beet sugar, or turbinado. If that's on the label, that's sugar. Don't be fooled. Be suspicious of ingredients you don't know. We all need to learn to be sugar detectives. Also, get yourself to slowly stop adding sugar to coffee, tea, or cereal. And that doesn't mean you have to cut out the flavor. In fact, instead of sugar, try cinnamon in your tea or applesauce in your baked goods or vanilla in your food. Simply reducing added sugars can make a huge difference in your health today and into the future. More information at growingbolder.com slash Medicare. He is now a legendary photographer, considered by many to be a national treasure. He's called the foremost landscape photographer in America today. In fact, people compare him to the legendary Ansel Adams. He's also a conservationist, but 
maybe even more important than that, he's a humanitarian whose works uh, transcend political boundaries. Uh, and he works to reveal the true beauty of nature, which is more important every day, we think. Uh, he's created award-winning environmental documentaries for public television, and he has published numerous books of photos of his travels all across America. We are beyond excited to have a chance to visit with the great Clyde Butcher. Clyde, how are you doing today? Oh, pretty good. It's a beautiful day here in Florida. Uh, you're looking good. And, you know, Bill and I, folks, just found out by the by that uh, Clyde has not shaved since 1975. So we're going to start the interview with that little nugget. Uh, uh, you know, Clyde, you are looking great. Obviously not as good as a Clyde Butcher uh, photographer uh, or photograph. But, you know, obviously not a lot of artists will tell you that their main their main goal, their main purpose is to teach awareness, uh, to create in people the awareness of what's around us. Where does that desire come from in you? Well, you know, uh, I, being, being an architectural major, uh, one of the things that uh, my wife's family did is they vacationed in Yosemite. And when I was a sophomore, I was up there visiting Nikki with her family, and I saw Ansel Adams' work. And I said, hmm, I wonder why you, why would you photograph these trees unless the trees were for sale? <laughs> you know, that's what photographers do. You know, they photograph stuff to sell, cars, you know, that sort of thing. So that was my first uh, kind of uh, not quite environmental oriented. You are called a modern day Ansel Adams. Uh, how does that feel? Uh, to, to have that connection, that recognition after being inspired many, many decades ago by his work? Well, it's, you know, it's pretty exciting because, you know, I mean, I, how many people are uh, can say that? I was just using Ansel Adams and Edward Weston and Wayne Bullock as a somebody to get an idea of what to do as, as an art. I mean, in, in, the, in the 60s, a little bit away from being photography as art in the 60s. It was more of a craft. And that's and, and so that's that's the main thing. It was it was the problem was it's, it was considered a craft. I mean when I saw that's a lot of uh, 16 by 20 Moonrise over Hernandez and his gallery in 61, it was seventy five dollars. Wow. <laughs> you know uh, that was that was wall decor. It wasn't art. Folks, we're talking to Clyde Butcher, and you have to look him up online to see some of the photographs that he he's really known for these beautiful, huge black and white prints. A lot of them have to do with Florida. And I was going to ask you about that, Clyde, because you mentioned Yosemite. And it seems to me that like great landscape photographers are all drawn to majestic mountains and rolling hills, not exactly what you find in Florida. So what pulled you down to the Sunshine State? Well, according to people in California, there's nothing worth, worth anything in America east of the Mississippi <laughs> or the Rocky Mountains. And when I, I came to Florida for the sailing, I did not come for the photography. It, it took me basically at least three years to see anything here to photograph. And it took me four, the fourth year to really start understanding, understanding the ecosystem of Florida. The problem with photographing in Florida, you have to get out of your car and get in the water. You got to play with the gators and the snakes and, you know, you have to become one with the scene. 
and not many people wanted to do that. More than a photographer, obviously a photographer, but he truly is a fine artist. And and Clyde, we want to talk more about your art, but but if it's okay, uh, I think we sure. got a couple of personal questions. Uh, and let's start with your wife, Nikki, because we. Uh, we're just fortunate enough to meet Nikki online here before we interviewed you. And and I know she's been by your side for, what, more than 60 years. Hard to believe. Can, can you explain well, how well, important that relationship is? I don't think I could do this without her. Um, she's an integral part of, of what I do. And it's like you've got to take both of us to make one person, I think. Um She's kind of the heart and soul. Of this, this, you know, I mean, she, I've been. She stuck with me through all kinds of really interesting experiences through life. So interesting because what you do, I mean, everybody would do it if it was easy. It's not easy. No. There is a lot to it, more than meets the eye, and and really, the path you've chosen has been difficult in every respect. You know, that's one thing that Mark and I find we all share in common is that life hits us with surprises, with illnesses, with heartbreak and loss. And it means everything to us, Clyde, to hear how people deal with theirs. Can you yeah. tell us about, you know, losing your son and mostly through that, how you found a way to move forward? Uh, well, you know, uh, people don't expect that to happen. I mean, you don't expect to lose your son at seven, when he's 17 years old. Um, it, I think it was about midnight when the police came to our door and knocked on the door and uh, told what happened. Uh, it was, I, it took me a while to, to tell, Nikki was asleep and it took me a while to tell her. And then that, of course, that was just really, uh, she, she had, she, well, we both had a really rough time. So I was contemplating it about, about six months before Ted was killed. I was contemplating the concept. And then when that happened, and I said, you know, I think I, I think I know what I have to do is I have to I have to go back to black and white. So when I got home, we had a uh, like a uh, one of those big bread trucks for the taking to the art shows. I filled it up three times with all my stuff, art, my, my color photographs, frames, glass, and took it to the dump and watched the machine run over it all. And I went out to the, to the Everglades and started photographing. And I think being out there, uh, waiting, in the, in the, waiting for hours for, for the sun to be right or the clouds to be right, and no sounds around, nobody around. It was really uh, healing. It's great to learn how your art, you know, helped you heal. And, and right. I know that you, you had another major life challenge in that you suffered a stroke a few years back. And in a very real way, it's your passion for your art that, that kept you moving forward. Is, isn't that true? Uh, well, I tell you, it was, that's, <laughs> if anybody gets a stroke, well, if you get a really bad one, you don't have to worry about anything because you'd be dead. But uh, mine was just a blood clot. So my right side, I was in the hospital five weeks. Uh, three months after I got, I was out of the hospital, I bought a uh, walker with wheels on it. And I, I had gone to a digital camera because that's a little lighter than the 8x10. So I'm taking that walker out 
And I said, I'm going to, I'm going to get out there because, you know, this is what I do. It's I, I explain nature to people. I, I, that's what I do. That's what I've always done. I mean, it took a little while. Um, I got to the point where I could lift the walk, walker over some logs. You know, I could, I, and after a while, I got it into the water with it, salt water, up to up to the seat where, because I, I would take my tripod out you know, on the on the walker and set up, and then it was it's really kind of neat though. You can have a nice little place to sit out in the middle of the swamp. You know, it's kind of neat, <laughs> and. Uh, so that was that was really inspiring, and, and I think I've done some of my, I, I think I've been doing some really really good work with the, with a digital camera. So now I'm shooting I'm shooting almost like I did before. So it's pretty exciting to keep growing and learning new techniques. Even though I'm almost seventy nine years old, you think. Well, you can just keep doing what you're doing. I said, no, I'm doing new stuff. <laughs> I'm not going to stuck around doing it. I want to keep going. I, I want to keep invent, inventing and, and innovating uh, what I do. And I think this is going to be – because it's really a lot easier carrying that out in the swamp with a walker than uh, the large format. And, folks, do, do you get that? Do you, do you understand now why – Clyde Butcher is still at the top of his field. He's not the same guy that he was, even though he was great in his 40s, 50s, and 60s. He's evolving. He's getting better. He's seeing things differently. And right about 79 years old now, Clyde, do you think about stopping, you know, dragging your walker around? Is it, is it harder to make yourself go out waist deep in the swamp? And are you as passionate as you used to be. Well, actually, uh, I've, I've, I've progressed to a different kind of walker. Just a plain old walker. There's no wheels on it. So now I, it's, it's, hard to get, it's hard to take a walker with wheels through the sawgrass. <laughs> so this last December, I got, I got this walk. It's like a you know, $75 walker. So now I'm able to get out. I was out uh, up to my almost my waist in water. Uh, in the Everglades, um, about 80, 90 feet from shore. So, I, you know, I'm, I, I, you know, I really tell people I will probably retire when I can see the roots of the grass. Maybe you can't see them, but, uh, I don't, I don't see why anybody would want to retire when you're doing what you want to do. Why, why would you why does, why do these people go on golf courses? I mean, gosh, it's kind of wasted time. You know, Clyde, I, I think it would it wouldn't be an unfair question, but it would be a question that probably or an answer we couldn't learn from if we ask someone who had lived a life with no challenges, no heartbreak, no oh, yeah. setback, uh, was not a risk taker. If we asked them about the meaning of life, the purpose of life. But with you, uh, I think we can learn a lot. So is there a moral to the story? Is there something you've learned about life in general uh, that you think is important that the rest of us should know? Well, when there's a door that can be opened, you should, if you if you should go through it, if it's a door that uh, makes progress for you and the world, step through that door and keep going. For instance, when I started doing these large photographs, they didn't make anything. They didn't in the in the, in the darkroom process of it, uh, the trays and washing and all that. They did didn't make any of this stuff. So I had this idea of what I wanted to do. So I had to go and build it all. 
hmm. being, being an architect, it's you know pretty helpful. So people some, sometimes are uh, restricted by, oh, they, they don't do this, so I can't do it. Well, look at Elon Musk. He's, he's, a, he's the, the top uh, rocket guy in the world now. And when he got out, of, he got started, he had no idea what a rocket was. You know, I mean, he, and, and now he's the best. So he, so people, if they want to, can progress if they have a desire. And a photographer asked me, well, what should I photograph? Well, what, what do you love? You know, do you love cars? I guess that would be okay. So you have to do what you love. And I've always loved nature. And, you know, the, the world is, how good does it get? I mean, does it get any better than this? I mean, would you take the Everglades over Mars? You think I stick the Everglades? I mean, I can't believe how beautiful this world is, and we have no respect for it. And that's what I'm trying to do with my world, is get to the point where people could understand how beautiful it is. When I started doing the work on the Everglades, the, the politicians had no idea what the Everglades were about. They just thought it was a swamp. Uh, they didn't have any idea. It was a beautiful place. We have a special place here, and... I don't think people realize it. I don't know if other people understand where their air comes from, where their water comes from. You know, I mean, it's it's pretty simple. I mean, uh, we just need more trees. Folks, if you're going to be anywhere near South Florida, his galleries are a must-see. One in Venice, I think, the other in Big Cypress. That's right. the main one right off of Tamiami Trail. And for more information on that, his photos, his books, and so much more, he's got an amazing website. It's very nice. Check it out. It's ClydeButcher.com. When we come back, the great Diana Nyad on how to develop a whole new mindset about aging. And Mark will tell us what's on his mind. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by Winter Park's new Crosby Wellness Center at the Center for Health and Well-Being. More than just a gym, it features unique medically integrated programs, activities for all ages and skill levels, and free group exercise classes with memberships. More at CrosbyWellnessCenter.org. Stay connected to Growing Boulder for daily doses of hope, inspiration, and possibility. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for our latest stories and motivational pictures. For many, retirement is an adventure that holds endless possibilities. It's a time to do the things you've always dreamed about. Hopefully, you've saved and grown your money for retirement, but trying to determine exactly how much you'll need... Well, that can be a daunting challenge. And while uncertainty is a part of life, there are some steps you can take to begin to figure it out. Like, start with your anticipated monthly expenses. Now, those are mortgage or rent, utilities, groceries, and the things you have to pay for. The Nonprofit Alliance for Lifetime Income has a simple guide for checking off the basics available on their website. 
Next, figure out what sources of protected income you have to cover them. Protected income is a source of money that you'll receive throughout retirement. There are only three potential sources of protected income. A company pension, which only a lucky few have anymore. Social Security, which covers only 40% of your pre-retirement income and annuities. There's a pretty good chance that once you calculate your protected income, there will be a gap, one that an annuity can help fill. And once you've covered your monthly expenses with protected income you can count on, well, you'll have the freedom to use the rest of your savings and investments to do the things you've always wanted to. The Alliance for Lifetime Income is a nonprofit educational organization that believes no one should have to face the prospect of running out of money in retirement. This organization has a library of easy-to-understand information, tools, guides, and stories of real-life Americans who have found ways to protect their retirement and have the freedom to live a bold life. More information at protectedincome.org, including recommendations on where and how best to find the right financial professional. My guard stood hard when abstract threats to noble to neglect. Every day people are out there rewriting the outdated rules of aging. And let me tell you, nobody's happier about that than famed adventurer Diana Nyad. In fact, she says it's thrilling to be part of an age group that's willing to look at aging from a whole different perspective. Here's what she means. Well, I must say, I, 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 I've spoken about, you know, people living with, you know, limitations over their heads, but um, it's clear that we are a new generation. You know, my mother died at 82, and if I really figured it out, I'd say by the time she was 55, she was thinking, what a shame, I'm, I'm, I'm heading into old age. Not that she was, she was a ballroom dancer. She did things, but her mentality was, life is kind of now passed me by. Whereas we're the rock and roll generation. We're the Vietnam War protesters. You know, we're the, we've seen that nursing home. And we've said there, there's still a lot left. And there's so many of us who feel that way that we're, we're now becoming a, a power. And I think younger people, our children, grandchildren, students are looking to us saying, you know, I don't know what anybody else thinks of 70, but that 70 I'm looking at, you know, that's the kind of 70 I want to be one day. Diana Nyad with a message that's inspiring to you and me, but it means just as much to our kids and grandkids. We get to set the example. Live your best life no matter how old you are, and not only will you end up making it the best it can be, but you'll also be helping those who come after. That's why growing bolder is important to us all. And it's why we make time in every show to listen to some thoughts from the founder of Growing Bolder, the CEO of this unique and life-changing organization, Mark Middleton. Mark, tell us what is on your mind. Well, you know, Bill, it was a couple of shows ago that I talked about the fact that I I was getting ready to go to Louisiana to watch Julia Hawkins at 105 years old become the oldest female in history to actually compete in a sanctioned track and field meet. I've been there. I watched it. I went to Julia's home. I hung out with her in a garden. And I have to tell you, the fact that she runs and sets world records at 105 is maybe the least interesting thing about her, as compelling as that is. This is an amazing woman who has friends all over the world, 
and, and to see people show up to support her and watch her do what she did. And here's the deal. It was a cold morning in Louisiana. It was a windy morning in Louisiana. Julia cannot see more than a foot and a half in front of her face. Everybody was afraid that she would trip and fall, break something, or that she would run outside of her lane, which would have disqualified her, and she would not have got the world record. So they stood there for 30 minutes trying to say, could we put people on either side of her? Could we put cones in the lanes? And the people who ran the meet said, no, it wouldn't count. It would, it would disqualify her right away. She sat there and listened to all of this. And then she said, stop it. Bring out the starter. Let's run the race. And she did, stayed right smack dab in the middle of her race. And when she got done, I said, what was this about? And she said, I am a collector of magic moments. And this was a moment I wanted to collect. She waited 105 years for this moment. It took her a minute and two seconds to set the world record. And and she really, I, I don't think it's an exaggeration, Bill, to say that she has redefined the boundaries of human potential at least in that way. And and it's not unusual to us. We see it all the time. It's pretty easy to do these days because we live in this freaking ageist culture that makes us believe that we can do almost nothing as we get older. But here's a 105-year-old woman who wrote her memoir at 100 years old. Uh, She has a garden that she tends to every single day. She walks around her neighborhood every single day, and she communicates online and in writing with 100 people around the world. See, I, I love, Mark, your social media post about this because a lot of people treat this as a story about Julia and about how remarkable she is. But the best part of the story is it's really it's about us. It's about our potential. It's about what we could possibly do. Uh, what are your thoughts? What, what did you come away thinking about her and feeling yourself? Well, A, she's surrounded by people who love her. She lives alone, but her family is with her almost every single day. And, and, you know, so what I came away is thinking she really is an ordinary person living an extraordinary life. We talk about that a lot. She is the personification of the statistic that active longevity is only 25% genetics and 75% lifestyle. She has made lifestyle choices from the beginning that have enabled her to get to this point. Uh, and, And the other thing... If you want to keep moving, you got to keep moving. And she does every single day. Folks, check out the video on growingbolder.com. What a great program. And we'll see you again next time. The Growing Boulder Radio Show is a production of Growing Boulder LLC, all rights reserved. This program was recorded at Growing Boulder Studios in Orlando and is available as a weekly podcast on NPR One, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. It is written and produced by Jill Middleton, Mark Middleton, and Bill Schaefer. Technical director is Jason Morrow. Production manager is Michael Nanis. Chief audio engineer is Mac Dula. And our most important team member, you. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to keep growing bolder every day. Crimson flames tied through my ears, going high and mighty trapped. Countless fires. Said I